the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. If this is who God really is, then how could you disobey him in such a blatant way? What a great question. If your God is so great and powerful, then what in the world would cause you to rebel against him? Folks, that is a very valid question to ask ourselves when we're in rebellion. Just run away. That's how we often think we can avoid doing something we don't like. We think that if we can avoid doing what God clearly wants us to do, he'll stop bothering us. Maybe if we can just get far enough away from the problem, it will just go away. God doesn't let us off that easy. He doesn't let us avoid our problems. He is going to make us face them sooner or later. You just can't run away from your problems, and you certainly can't run away from God. He will keep the pressure on us to help us decide that His way is always the best way. We've been studying the Old Testament prophet Jonah with Pastor Steve Kreloff here on Verse by Verse. Today's message really hits at the heart of doing God's will. Maybe you're struggling with obeying God's word in some area of your life. You're going to want to pay close attention to Jonah's situation. Don't make God send a fish to bring you back where he wants you to be. Here's Pastor Steve. But there's still another person in the story representing someone else. And I remember there there were the Pharisees who grumbled. And this story is being told to the Pharisees to drive home a point. Well, we read in verse 25, someone representing them in the story. The older son. Remember, there were two sons. Now, the older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. He said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now, you'd think he'd be thrilled, but like the Pharisees, they were not thrilled. you think the Pharisees would have been thrilled. Here's Jesus reaching out to sinners who need salvation, but they're too self-righteous to see that. They look down upon these people just as this, this older brother now is going to respond in anger. But he became angry and, would, and would, was not willing to go in. And his father came out to him and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours. Now let's stop there. That is a lie. That is a lie. If this son represents the Pharisees and he, and he does... Does that mean that the Pharisees had never broken any of the commandments? That's what they thought. That's why they're self-righteous fools. That's why they were still lost in their sins. That's like the Pharisee who prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. It's like the rich young ruler who said, I've kept all of your commands from my youth upwards. It's a lie. They said, I've never neglected. He said, I've never neglected a command of yours. That's the problem. He didn't think he did. And he said, I've served you. Yeah, but reluctantly served him with uh, no heart. He served him with external legalism. That's all. He didn't have a love for this father. 
And yet he said, you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. And notice this. He's so angry. He says, when this son of yours came, he doesn't even call him my brother. This son of yours came who is who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. It's as if he's saying, and in essence, this is the point. Look, Israel's always been with me. I've given, I've given Israel, and the Pharisees represented the leadership of Israel. I've given you all these promises. I've given you everything. I, I've been gracious to you. But we had, verse 32, but we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Do you understand what he's saying? It's, it's what it, these Pharisees are so self-righteous and they despise the fact that the father showed mercy upon a sinner. And Jonah is just like them, just like them. He rejoices that God has been merciful to Israel, but he's resentful that God wants to be merciful to Gentiles. See, Jonah, though, was not a self-righteous Pharisee. He was acting like it in this case, but he was not like, like them. He was a genuine believer running away from God's command to proclaim his word to the Ninevites. He's just rebelling against God, showing mercy. He didn't want God to be compassionate to them, but this parable shows us how compassionate God is. And so he gets on a ship, he heads for Tarshish, on the coast of Spain, thinking that he could, notice verse 3 says, flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, how could Jonah think that he could flee from the presence of the Lord? I think it's doubtful that Jonah really did think that he could flee from the presence of the Lord in an absolute sense, because you know what? Jonah knows the Psalms just like you and I know the Psalms. In fact, he knows it far better. He knew it far better than we did, because the Psalms were already penned in Jonah's day, and in chapter 2, Jonah, speaking and praying from the belly of the fish, alludes to the Psalms. He was very well acquainted with the Psalms, and he knew what you and I know of Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, that you can never escape God's presence. Psalm 139, verse 7 says, where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell, notice this, in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. So it cannot be that Jonah thought that he could get away from God's absolute presence. And what does it mean? It appears that Jonah thought that if he just left the land of Israel, got off the soil, then he could leave behind his role as a prophet. In other words, by leaving Israel, Jonah believed that he could get away from God's command to go to Nineveh. His role as a prophet would be over. He's no longer in Israel. He's no longer a prophet in Israel. He's gotten away from Israel. He won't have to preach to those wicked people. Listen, this is no different, and note this, no different from those of us today who run away from God's will and obedience to his word and think that by removing ourselves from the things of God, like going to church, like fellowshipping with other believers, like praying, like reading the Bible, we think that God will just give up pressuring us He won't put on any more pressure on us to do his will. And listen, you and I know people exactly like that. Those who claim to know Christ, they claim to know him, but they're staying away from church. They're in rebellion, the very place they ought to be. That's what's the first thing that someone does, a believer does when he's in rebellion. He stops going to church. It's the very place he needs to be to hear the word of God. He doesn't want to talk to his Christian friends. In fact, you call them on the phone. They usually don't return your calls. They don't pray anymore. They don't read the word. 
And they think that, that by doing that, they're just going to get away from this Christian pressure and what God is, is putting upon them. But that's not the case with a child of God. The Lord never gives up his call and pursuit of you. No matter how far you stray from him, he will pursue you. No matter how far you run, and he will pursue you until you accomplish his will in, in your life. And his pursuit of you as a disobedient child will involve discipline. Because whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And that's exactly what happened to Jonah. Now, we're going to go through this quickly. I've established what we need to have established. And now we begin to look at verses 4 through 6. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you're sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. While Jonah was on a ship on the raging Mediterranean, Mediterranean Sea headed towards Spain. God now hurls a great wind upon the sea. This is not a normal storm. This word for hurling was the same Hebrew word used in the Old Testament of Saul hurling a javelin at David. It means great force, great power. No ordinary storm. This was uh, this was a supernatural storm. This is a miraculous storm with tremendous force. It was a very definite expression of, of God's displeasure. With Jonah. And you know what? Even these veteran pagan sailors knew that. They knew that. That's why they start dumping valuable cargo overboard. And in their fear, they start crying out to the various gods. They knew this was an act of divine displeasure. And where was Jonah while all this was going on? We're told he was below the ship sleeping. He's probably physically exhausted from his journey, as well as all the mental anguish an emotional drainage that comes from running from God. It is really hard to run from God. Your guilty conscience plagues you. But the captain of the ship wakes him up, finds him, wakes him up, and orders him to pray to his God, thinking we need everyone to pray to their God because we've got to get through to somebody's God. So he wakes him up. But the storm continues to rage on, so the sailors on ship take a new approach. Verses 7 through 9. Each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation and where do you come from and what is your country and from what people are you? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry ground. So the sailors decide to use an ancient method of casting lots to determine who's responsible for angering their God so much that, that this storm would come upon us. And God, though this is not taught in Scripture that this is the way you seek his guidance, God did accommodate this approach, and he sovereignly guided the lot in some way. We're not sure exactly how, but he guided the lot to fall upon Jonah. And so Jonah explains to them who he was, what country he's from, and what God he worshipped. And notice how these sailors respond to Jonah telling them that he was a worshiper of the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Notice verse 10, because they rebuked him. They rebuked him. Verse 10 said, Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? 
For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. So we're just given a summation. But Jonah expanded on it at that time and explained to them exactly what was going on. And they said, how can you do this? It appears that the men may at first have imagined that Jonah just believed in a local minor deity. But when he acknowledged that he was a worshiper of the one true God, the God who is the creator of the heaven and the earth, you know what? They're absolutely flabbergasted. And well, they should have been. If this is who God really is, then how could you disobey him in such a blatant way? What a great question. That's a great question. If your God is so great and powerful, then what in the world would cause you to rebel against him? Folks, that is a very valid question to ask ourselves when we're in rebellion. And it is a valid question to ask somebody else, another Christian who's rebelling against God. What would, what would ever purposely cause you to disobey our God who is so wonderful? Why would you ever run away from the will of God? Now, you can ask that question, but I'll tell you the answer. The answer is rather obvious. It's not rational, but it's obvious. We're angry at God when we rebel against him. We're just angry because we think we know what's best for our lives, and we don't like what God is doing. That's why we run from God. We think we know what's best. We don't like what the Lord is doing in our lives, and so we get angry at him, and we run, and we're going to do our own thing because God is not letting us do what we think we ought to do. Someone going through a very difficult marriage. Lord, I'm annoyed at you because I don't like it that you put me in this rotten marriage. Health problems. Yeah, you could have changed it, God, but you didn't. You had to cause this this illness to come on me. Yeah, it's your fault, God, that I'm in this rotten job. I make so little money. And on and on it goes. We get angry at God because we rebel against God's wisdom. We really don't believe God knows what he's doing. So in our pride and and arrogance, we're annoyed at him, and we'll do whatever we think we should do. And that's precisely what Jonah's doing. He's angry at God because he thinks he knows what's best. He believes that it would be best if the Ninevites all perished. But no, no, God has to be compassionate to them. He's really saying, God, I don't like what you're doing, and so I'm running. And he's hardened his heart against God, and he's determined to continue in this condition rather than repent. He knows he's wrong. And listen, his heart is so hardened, it's amazing, but this is how deceitful and wicked the human heart is. His heart is so hardened against God that he'd rather die than see Nineveh saved. Now that's hardness. Notice verses 11 through 15. So they said to him, the the sailors said to him, these are pagan men. What shall we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea. What an amazing statement. He should have just fallen on his face and say, I repent and then things will stop. He said, I'd rather die than than see the Ninevites saved. Pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you've pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped. It's raging. 
Jonah here tells the sailors, look, if you want the sea to be calm, just pick me up, throw me into the sea, throw me overboard. That's when God will stop. And they didn't want to do that. Now, think about that. Why would these pagan men care about Jonah? Why wouldn't they want to kill him? Because they have a light of conscience. They have a conscience and they know that it's wrong to kill. They didn't need the Ten Commandments to tell them that. They know it's wrong to kill. Under normal circumstances, it'd be wrong to to throw this man overboard. But these are not normal circumstances. If they don't do it, they're all going to die. So after failing to return to land, which, by the way, is a very merciful, compassionate thing they wanted to do upon Jonah, the non-compassionate man who didn't care about the pagans, the pagans care about him. But after failing to return to land, they finally picked up the prophet. They threw him into the sea and immediately the storm ceased. But what we're told in verse 16 is really the high point and the whole point of this chapter. Verse 16, then the men feared the Lord greatly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. What an incredible statement. What this verse indicates is that these sailors became saved men converted men. Don't miss the point here. These pagan men who just prior to this were calling upon their pagan gods now feared Jonah's God, the one who made heaven and earth. And the evidence of their conversion is that they offered sacrifices and vows to him. May I point out to you that this was not a superstitious thing. The storm had already passed. They didn't do this because they were fearful and afraid of dying. Like, I'll do anything, God, if you'll, if you'll just stop the storm. The storm passed already. This is an expression of gratitude. This is worship. You see the irony of this? The great lesson of the chapter, even though Jonah was running from God because he didn't want the Lord to save the heathen in Nineveh, God still used him. He still used this prophet and his witness to save these heathen sailors. That's the whole point. What irony. And Jonah obviously learned this later because the guy is in the sea now. But these men became believers and he found out about it. You see, God will demonstrate his compassion upon the lost regardless of whether or not we cooperate with him. But it's so much better to cooperate with him. So much better. You don't want to fight him. Folks, it's it's significant here that Jonah was running from God because he didn't want God to give mercy to the heathen. He said, I'll not witness to the heathen, but God orchestrates this whole thing so that Jonah witnesses to the heathen. God is sovereign. Now, how do the truths of this chapter apply to us? I think there are two things that stand out. First of all, the chapter most definitely calls us to enter into God's heart of kindness and and eagerness to save unsaved people. That, That is the obvious lesson, even the most wicked ones. If God the Father, out of joy and eagerness, runs to greet one repentant sinner, his, his, his long robe flying up in the air, not caring about his legs being exposed. He's just overjoyed to, to, to have a sinner repent. And what does it tell us about what our attitude ought to be towards missions and evangelism? That's, that's God's heart. That should be our heart. Do you have that kind of compassion for the lost? Do you care enough to even come out the next few nights to learn about this? Now, if you do, then you'll do everything possible to be a part of reaching the unreached. It means that you'll give financially to missions. You'll pray for missionaries and their requests, not in general. You'll pray on that little global prayer list that we give you. You'll be informed about missions. 
You'll be willing to even go and evangelize even to the uttermost part of the world. You'll say, God, I'm very comfortable. I'm sitting here at Lakeside. I've got a nice job, a nice family. I'm comfortable. But if you want me to go, I'm willing. I'm willing. Make it clear to me. And I'm willing to go. Secondly, this chapter teaches us that that you really can't succeed in running from God. You, You just mess up your life. He will pursue you. He'll discipline you. You see, you are God's child for all of eternity. You can't get away from him. He will ultimately accomplish his purposes, whether you cooperate with him or not. Jonah, as we said, was against witnessing to wicked pagans, and he thought he knew better than God, but he didn't. He thought he knew better than God, but in spite of his rebellion, God still used him to reach the pagan sailors. You see, there are many Christians who are just downright annoyed at God. At least Jonah was honest about it. But if you're annoyed at God, you need to be honest with the Lord. Just say, Lord, I have been annoyed at you. I don't like what you're doing in my life. But don't say it with the same attitude that Jonah said it with. You need to have repentance. That's a wicked thought. That's very wicked. Jonah was a wicked, rebellious prophet. And to his shame, everybody for all these centuries, has to learn about it. But God, even if others don't know what's going on in your heart, God does. And so I would urge you to repent over being annoyed at God. Whatever your life is, it's because God has sovereignly brought these things into your life for his glory and for your good. Let's bow for prayer. Do you have a heart for the lost? Or are you like one of those Pharisees? Why do we have to reach out to people? who are so savage, they look different from us, they act different from us, they're so evil, they're so primitive, they're so hostile. If you have that attitude, shame on you. Then you're like Jonah. You need to repent of that. And it may be that you're not so annoyed at God wanting to show compassion to the lost. You just don't want him to use you to show compassion. You're happy that others are called, but you don't want to be called. Shame on you if that's the case. We all should be open to the Lord's will. And it may be that you're not even annoyed at God for that at all. But it may be that you're so insensitive about missions and evangelism that you've got other things planned this week. It's like your church never even planned to have this conference. It never even crossed your mind to inconvenience yourself and come out each night. That's the case. Shame on you for that. You should repent of that. If you've never repented of your sin for salvation, then you are our mission field. You are our mission field. You need to see your sin. You've sinned against heaven. And you need to come to God confessing your sin and trusting that when Christ died for sinners, he was dying for you. And you need to believe that and trust him as your only hope of salvation. And we're available. We're here to help you in any way we can if you're convicted of your sin and want to know more about the gospel. Father, thank you for this marvelous book and this introduction this morning. We are grateful that the Bible is precisely the word of God, for if man had written this without being under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, then he would have exalted himself. But Lord, your word never exalts man, but only yourself. And I pray that you will help us, Father, to see that compassion is your nature, part of your nature. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to have that heart. I don't have that heart like I need to. 
And that's true of all of us. So I pray that you'll help us to to rejoice when we hear of people being saved, to be active in proclaiming the gospel to others, Lord. I pray that you'll motivate us to really want to learn more about missions so that we could enter into the, the things that really rejoice your heart. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you running away from? Is it a family issue where you know what God wants you to do, but you insist on trying to do it your way? Is God telling you to reach out to lost people and you just don't want to get involved? There are a whole lot of reasons why we rebel against what we know God wants us to do. It's time to stop running and start obeying. Even those pagan sailors on Jonah's boat got the message. How about you? Are you ready to stop saying no to God? Thanks for joining us for Verse by Verse today. This radio program features the teaching ministry of Steve Kreloff, pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. You can download this message and find lots of other resources by visiting our website, versebyverseradio.org, or by calling us at 727-239-0306. On our next broadcast, we're going to find out what it took to get Jonah turned around and going in the right direction. Be sure to tune in. For Pastor Steve and the rest of the staff, I'm Jerry Pruden, inviting you to join us then here on Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse by We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.